Happy 2021. Who's ready for it? Right? All of us? That's good. I like that. Um, as we get started today, I'm going to give you fair warning. What I'm going to be talking about was a um, set of teachings that were put together. God kind of downloaded in me over the past couple of years. And it's really a three-part teaching that we're going to condense into one Sunday, right? So if you think Mark talked for a long time, get ready. We'll do a bathroom break halfway through. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We'll get out quick, I promise. No, um, we are going to jump into something that I think is very important for us as believers to understand. Because every single person here is affected by it. And has been affected by it. The world we live in is affected by it. 2020 was affected by it. And that is the curse. We're going to be talking about the curse today. Not only are we talking about the big curse, the big C, right, the fall of man, but we're also going to be talking about the little curse, which is how that affects the masculine and the feminine. All right? So, guys, stay with me. This is going to be good. Women, don't hate me because we're going to talk about some good things, and I promise it's not your fault. All right? So if you've ever heard that before, even as a bad joke, not your fault. Um, If you want to turn with me, if you have your Bible, we're going to get started, and we're going to start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Because in order to understand how the curse has affected us as people, we've got to learn what what it was that was affected. Because a lot of times when we think about Adam and Eve and creation, the Garden of Eden, what's the first thing that kind of comes to our mind? Perfect, right? Everything was perfect. Everything was good. I mean, it's kind of like a Disney movie. You know, we walk around singing and animals sing with us. You know, it's kind of that that mentality we've been taught over time. But as we begin to pick apart creation, we're understanding that there's more going on than just this perfect place that mankind was supposed to live in and enjoy and 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 partake of for all of eternity so but at first it starts with this in chapter one we kind of have an overview a quick overview of all of creation and in verse uh 27 it says this it says and god created man in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female and god blessed them verse 28 and god said to them be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I'm going to stop there for a second, because that is the purpose of mankind. Okay? That's all of our purpose. The original blessing, or I like to call original intent. Okay? This is the original intent of your life and of my life as God first prescribed. And what is that? Well, we see that it means to be fruitful. Well, in the Hebrew, that word means to be prosperous. Okay? So be prosperous. Multiply means not just have babies. The Hebrew word there means become great. Uh, the, word, the, the phrase fill the earth means bring abundance. Subdue means bring under rule and subjection. And to rule over means to have dominion. Okay? So all of these words right here, God's basically laying out the intent of man is to be prosperous, be great in everything you do, bring out abundance out of every piece of your life, and I want you to take what is wild and subjugate it, rule over what I've given you, and I want you to have dominion, authority over these things. Okay? Original intent. What's amazing about this is, 
is that if you take this promise, this word that God spoke over man, and you go to the story of Abraham, this is the exact same promise that God makes to Abraham. If you'll follow me, if you'll step out in faith, these are the things that I'm going to bless you and your line with. Why is that important? It's important because what happens in Hebrews? Well, we know Abraham is the father of all of us by faith, right? So what that means is what was originally a promise and a blessing, an intent that came through the Jewish line, has now been opened up to all of us because by faith we believe in Christ. Okay? So what does that mean? That means original intent by faith is restored back to your life. Following with me so far? Only through Christ, though. All right, so we're going to put that there for right now. We'll come back to it. Back to Genesis. If you go into chapter 2, we go into more of a detailed description of of creation. And we're going to start with chapter 2, verse 7. And this is the creation of man. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So man is alive, right? And what is man formed out of? Dust, okay? Why is this important? Because when God creates man, what God is creating is creating Adam. Eve is not around yet. Okay, we all remember this from Sunday school, correct? So Eve's not around. Man is created from what? From dust. Why is this important? Because scripturally, dust is always remembered, and it's supposed to have this feeling of humbleness. It's supposed to have this feeling of of you were created from dust to the ground, from nothing, from the lowest of low. And what's important about that is as the masculine men, guys, fellas, right, we're always to remember, always to hold true that humility that, you know what, I came from dust. It's important that the masculine wiring remembers this. We've all probably, as as guys and and, and ladies, met these guys that – They're just a little arrogant, right? A little pompous, you know? I can always think of, like, the movies where the guys in the gym is like, yeah, what's up? I can bench press, you know, 500 pounds. The thing about that, though, is is that that's that arrogance. And that is so easy for the masculine to take into themselves. And Scripture sets up that from the beginning, from original design, you were created to stay humble. To remain in humility. Know what you were formed from. Start from humble beginnings. Now, another thing to remember in this, in verse 7, is that, um, well, let's jump to verse 8 real quick. And then the Lord God planted a garden to the east of in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. We'll stop there for a second. It's so easy in the story of creation to associate Adam's creation and the Garden of Eden. But what I want to encourage all men in here and women too to understand, the masculine, the masculine was created in the wilderness. That's why there's something different about the masculine than the feminine. Because well, later we're going to come to the feminines created in the garden, not in the wilderness. Men are naturally created in the beginning of time, and this is hardwired in us. We are created in the the wilderness, which brings an explorative, opportunistic, risk-taking wiring inside of each man. There's an initiative. There's a want to tame, 
to expand and to not just take over, but to subdue. And the reason that is is because as man is created in the wilderness, we're created in what was untamed. Right? Following with me so far? So as the masculine is created in what is untamed, he is then brought to a place that God creates, the garden. God does what to the wilderness? He tames the wilderness. Now what's amazing about this, and um, I'm going to do this real quick. What's amazing about this is, is that as God is, is teaching man, I want you to keep in mind the masculine, okay? Don't, don't just start thinking about John or David or Paul in your life. I want you to think about the masculine wiring, all right? Whether or not it's the most perfect thing you've experienced or you've been wounded by it, just follow me with the masculine, all right? So God creates the masculine. He brings the masculine man to this area, and he says, watch this. I'm going to teach you something. And God begins to create Eden. And he creates Eden in a way, I believe, he's showing and teaching man the very things God wants man to do. See, what's important about this is that as God is, is, is teaching man how to expand and control the wilderness, to tame the wilderness, to subdue the wilderness, to rule over the wilderness... He is showing man what his intent for mankind is to be on the rest of the earth. Wasn't that God created Eden for man to live in and and that was it. It's that he wanted Eden to be what God created as the start so that man would further that out every single day of his life. So what God does is he goes, he says, we're going to make a poinsettia. Watch this. And I think God sat there and he probably planted a seed and he said, Now grow, and the poinsettia begin to grow. See, I think God was teaching Adam how to further and expand the kingdom of God at this point in time. But everything was physical. We we have these terms now in a spiritual aspect, but everything was a physical representation at this point in time in creation. So God goes and he's showing Adam, okay, this is how you plant this, this seed, and when you speak to it, When you speak life into it, what happens? It's going to grow and it's going to be an apple tree. And when you speak into this one, it's going to grow and it's going to be a grapevine. And after it grows, this is what you do with it. He's teaching Adam what he wants Adam to then go do out of Eden to the rest of the world. And what's important about this is that he's teaching Adam how to cultivate, how to keep, but also how to work. The masculine is important. That the masculine works. That the masculine is, it goes out and conquers and produces and makes. Originally, it was supposed to be something that was joyful and fun and easy and, hey, this is, let's just go out and do, right? And conquer and, and expand. But out of the fall, which we're going to come to, all of that changed for the masculine. So God looks at Adam and he's watching Adam and he puts Adam in Eden. And um, it says this in verse 9, Now the ground the Lord God caused every tree that is pleasing in the sight uh, and good food, good for food, the tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why did he do this? Now keep in mind, Adam's right here while he's doing this, okay? In the timeline, Adam's watching God do all these things. God's teaching him this tree and that tree and that fruit and this thing and that thing. And all of a sudden, God comes to these two trees, and he creates them, and he tells Adam, 
I put the, the tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil. This is what you, you don't eat this one. Now, this has always amazed me because, A, what we have here is the beginning of free will. God plants these two trees so that mankind at this point in time makes the decision, life or death. We get, as Christians, we were faced with this decision, accept Jesus, don't accept Jesus. See the parallels? Christ, no Christ, tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he plants these trees. He puts them in there. Adam's looking at them. Adam's like, okay, okay, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm watching. I'm, 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 I'm here with you, God. And he gives, establishes free will for man. That way man is able to then make a decision. Because he wasn't making an animal. He was making something that would choose, that would go through process, that would, that would literally be the, how God is perfect within himself. He created this being that would experience God's perfection and God's love and creativity and be able to do that themselves. But like any good parent, God was doing all these things in order to teach and mature and grow. See, a lot of times I think we look at scriptures as if from a place of everybody had it figured out. I think what God's doing in this process, in this moment, is he's teaching Adam as if you would a child. So he's going through, and Adam's maturity level is probably a teenager at this point in time, right? And we're going to see why here in a minute as soon as a woman comes in the picture. Because Adam's like, whoa, whoa, man, (laughs) that's awesome. That's a girl. And he acts just like a, you know. Love struck boy would. Boy. See, I don't think God intended for man to be just A and B choices. It was in the beginning, there's A and B, and then I'm going to teach you why and how. But first, we've got to start with this fruit's good, this fruit's bad. This is how you do what I do. You want to learn how to walk? Watch me walk. See, God's teaching a child. So as scripture continues, what does God do? Well, well as we all know, um, we always think of, of creation as this perf- place of perfection, right? But in scripture, what we see is that, um, let me get there, verse 15, and God, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, from any tree of the garden, you shall eat freely And then he goes into verse 18, and God says this, okay? Not man. God says this. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. And right there, does he put Adam to sleep and take Eve out? No, he doesn't. First, he does something else. He says, um, verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called a living creature, that was its name. Why is this in there? Why does God say, say you know what, Adam, Adam needs a partner. And instead of immediately giving him a partner, he does what? He gives Adam a job. This is important because we're going back to the masculine, all right? The masculine, before it receives the one thing in its heart it, it's wanting, which is a suitable partner, I believe God put it inside of us as men, as the masculine, to have to go through process in order to appreciate what kind of partner we're going to be with. 
there's a reason why that a lot of times a guy, we, we, we have to work hard to get the girl. And it's not just because, you know, we're crazy and love struck and we'll do anything stupid. It's because I think it's God ordained for us to realize what we need. See, God gave Adam a job because he let Adam realize that all of these out here have something else with them. You don't. And the reason that that's important is because it wasn't that Adam needed something to reproduce with. When you look at the Trinity of God, you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? And out of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know that we've all been created, masculine and feminine. It's my belief that, and we see this in Scripture, that when God creates man, he creates man out of the image of Christ. So Adam is created out of the masculine. Jesus represents that masculine. Well, what does a woman represent? The Holy Spirit. See, they are wired and created. The feminine is created out of the wiring of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not getting into something weird here. What I'm talking about is this. We talk about women as our what? Our helpmate, right? Well, in Matthew, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. The one that comes in and brings an empowerment. If you think about how a man is wired, a man is wired to think in books, right? Meaning we have one book open at a time. You can come to me and say, hey, Ovi, jump into this, do this. I'm like, let me close what I'm doing right now, and then I'll, 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 I'll join you in that. Women are the Internet. They have all these tabs open at the same time. There's music playing from somewhere. We don't even know where, and everything's interconnected. Why is that? Because they are designed out of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus... One place, one time, Holy Spirit all around us, every single person. Women, the feminine is naturally built out of this design as the side, as the helper to come alongside of. It was important for mankind to realize that they needed that partnership because God himself has that. Well, what do you mean? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this beautiful dance with each other. Ever giving, ever receiving. And what God was doing when he created man was he was patterning, patterning everything out of himself. So now we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then we have God, male, and female. And male and female were created to experience this beautiful dance that God has within himself. See, God is, doesn't need us, but he created us to experience him. And how good he is, how amazing he is. And so the masculine is created out of this blueprint that, that, that is part of the Trinity. And the feminine is created out of this blueprint, part of the Trinity. As much as our bodies and our souls have things that are so in common, our spirits are patterned after two different things. A lot of times, this is why men and women do this right here. And we're going to see how that really affects us in the curse. Because all of this is a product of the curse. Because before this, this is how things were meant to be. And then here's God. So you have this Trinity action going on. We're living that out every single day. The beauty of Jesus is he can reestablish this. We don't have to live in this broken system. Now every day doesn't have to be renewed. Oh, yeah. But we can live in a completed work again. And we're going to get to that. All right, still with me? Bathroom break? No, just kidding. Good. All right, so 
we have man designed, realizes that he needs another piece. Adam realizes he needs another piece. So what does God do? God says, you know what, I'm going to give you a task. He finishes that task because I I believe it's to show how important it was to have more than what he had. Okay? Because things were good, but this was going to make things better. So, woman gets fashioned out of man. All right? Well, when the woman's created, where is she created? Let's go to that. So it says this in verse 22 of chapter 2. And the Lord God fashioned into woman fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man and he brought her to man. And man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And it goes into, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So out of the creation of woman, we know that Adam is put to sleep in a safe place. Woman was not created in the unsafe area of the wilderness, the untamed of the wilderness. She was created in Eden. This is why naturally they're inside of the, inside of the feminine, okay? Inside of the feminine wiring, there's a, 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 a natural hominess, a natural covering, a natural safe space. This is why the masculine craves to have a partner, because we want to find that place that we go to that allows us to take off the armor and the work and the, 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 the fight of the day. Because a woman was created out of this garden, this safety, this place of rest. And so God creates woman. She's created in the garden. She is created um, and it allows man to know that he's not to be alone. The helper comes in. And so... Everything is looking good. Everything's looking great. And then we go into chapter 3, which is the serpent. And everything seems to fall apart, right? If that woman just would have had that apple. Gosh. But that's not what happens. When you begin to go through Scripture and you begin to see the interaction between the serpent and the the, the feminine, what occurs is this is that he, um, verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, let's start verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God made, and he said to the woman, indeed, as God told you, you should not eat from any tree in the garden. So the serpent starts with a question to Eve, and it's all about deception. He's taking bits of truth, and he's twisting things in order to create doubt. And the reason that this is important is because woman's sin was that she was deceived. The woman and the serpent interact, and as she interacts with the serpent, she begins to answer his questions, but it creates enough doubt. She's like, you know what? I think you're right. Now, what sets apart the next step is man is not deceived. Adam is not deceived. I think Adam's Honestly, in the movie Bambi, they have a word called Twitterpated. I think he's just in love. How many guys, let's honestly raise your hand, how many guys have acted stupid for a girl that you wanted to be with? <laughs> right? That's because of Adam. I think when Eve presented the fruit to Adam, he knew exactly what he was doing. He just didn't want to say no to Eve. 
And not because Eve was manipulating or twisting. It's because Adam shifted from God is the provider and God is everything. And I thought, I think he began to look at this woman as this is everything. Wow. And I think that he did what every boy does. He made a stupid decision in order to impress the girl that he was trying to be with. And what occurs then is that Adam sins out of rebellion. Adam doesn't sin out of deception. See, when Eve partook of the fruit, nothing happened. When Adam partakes of the fruit, their eyes are opened. The light is gone. They realize they're naked. Why is this important? It's not because, just because of, of, of Adam you know, being the first to create it and the man and the head. What it is is that the reasons of partaking of that fruit are completely different. I think something special would have happened if Adam would have said, Oh, baby. Oh, you were oh no. Come on. Come on. We've got to go find we gotta go find God. We gotta go find God. I think something incredible would have happened out of that. Because her sin was a sin of deception. But when Adam, Adam knew. Adam knew what he was doing, Adam knew why he was doing it, and Adam did it anyways. What's that phrase, come hell or high water? I think that was Adam's mentality. And at that point, everything changed. The fall of man occurs. And out of the fall of man, what is lost is man's original intent. What occurs is these these fruitful multiply, fill the earth, subdue and rule. That authority is given to the serpent, to Satan. And all of a sudden, where it was as a hierarchy, let's say, God, man, and all of creation, it became angels, man. So God, angels, man, and then creation. Everything got rearranged. We gave up our rights to be Lord over. To take what was our original intent and make something and create and expand the kingdom, the Eden over all the world. So, we go into the next part of the scripture. Their eyes, verse 7 and 8, right? Chapter 3. And then their eyes, both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man said to his wife, man and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, I want to stop here for a second because I want to reframe this, this whole part. I've been taught and I've always seen the scriptures if God shows up at his normal time, you know, he's walking in the cool of the day and he's like, Adam, Adam, Eve, where are you? I think something more was going on here. I think that that part in scripture of God showing up in the cool of the day is in a different context. I'm sure everybody here has been in a really bad, dark place before, right? And have you had that one friend that just showed up or called you or sought you out whenever you were in a bad place? Has it always stood out to you that you know exactly the time that they showed up or that they called? Oh, man, Mark showed up at 10 o'clock at my house, knocked on my door, came in just to make sure I was okay. I think that's what's happening here. 
See, that's the character of God if you think about it. That's the same God that seeks out those who are lost. I think God is up in heaven and he's just hanging out and enjoying. He's already spent, you know, time in the day down there and he's stretching. He's like, oh, this was a great day, you know, this is Jesus. And he's talking to, before he comes to earth and uh, through Mary and, and he's talking to the father and all of a sudden the sirens start going off in heaven. And he goes, I'm, I'm going, okay, guys, I got this. And he immediately goes, shows up in the garden. He says, hey, where are you guys at? He's seeking them out. See, a lot of times we read this scripture from a position of God being holier than thou. And then eventually God's character catches up to want to take care of us and save us. That's the same character that's in Genesis. So here is God showing up in the garden saying, guys, what happened? Where are you at? Don't, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding from me? Come here. Run to me, not away from me. See, what happened was mankind was already taken upon himself to be God. We're going to clothe ourselves. We're going we're gonna to fend for ourselves. We're going to try to fix this mess that we're in. The fall already kicked in. And God comes and he, Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to provide better than that. So what does he do? First, he interacts and, and he unpacks what is going to happen now because of the curse. We're about to go there, but he does something else at the very end of all this. He goes and makes the first sacrifice to clothe man and woman. Because what they have done on their own is just going to create more damage. And so he goes to give them comfortable clothes by killing the first animal that we see in Eden and covering man. The character of God always has been and always will be those that of one that loves you and chases after you and wants to cover you, no matter what you have done. We see that all the way in Genesis. Now, back to the curse. We're almost done, I promise. When the curse occurs, what we have in the rest of chapter 3 is God unpacking the effects. Sorry about that. The effects of the big C curse has on the masculine and the feminine. And this is where I need to make sure we got a promise not to get mad at Ovi, okay? All right, this will hopefully bring a lot of understanding between guys and girls, males and females. First is this, for the female. He says this to the woman, verse 16, I will greatly multiply your pain in, child, or in, in childbirth. In pain shall you bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Stop. Ladies, I am so sorry. So sorry that the childbirth, the pain, physically, in birth, multiplies. It's horrible. However, even more than that, is that you feel a sorrow over your children that men will never feel. There is a connection, a wanting, a longing that you guys will always have over your child that I won't have. That's effects of the curse. So whenever you're sitting there and you're, you say, oh, I'm just worried about Johnny. And the husband is like, yeah, I know. Toughen up, kid. That's the curse. That's not a cop-out. That's just the curse. Secondly, 
This other scripture where it says, your, des- your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Have anyone here ever noticed that the moment you get married or in a really serious committed relationship, something changes? See, a guy pursues a girl, and I'm sure every man here will remember this and think, shake their head yes. When a guy pursues a girl, this girl takes care of herself. She, you know, is, has it together. She doesn't need me but wants me. There's just something really special about this girl. And then marriage occurs, and something shifts. All of a sudden, there's a little bit more need and a little bit more pull coming from the feminine in that marriage over the masculine. For a female, have you ever noticed that when you're on your own, it's like, you got this. And then all of a sudden in that relationship or in that marriage, it's that man, you will not believe what he has done, how he has acted, the decisions he's made. That's all part of the curse. The word desire here in the Hebrew is this. It's only used two other times in Scripture, okay? This Hebrew word. The first or one time is in Song of Solomon. It's when the female says that my husband desires after me. And then the second time it's used in Scripture is whenever God is talking to Cain. And he says to Cain, he says, you keep going down this road. Sin is waiting and desires to rule over you. Now, why is it used only twice, this word of desire? Because it's a Lord over. It's a wanting to not control is a harsh word, but control is the best word. I used to uh, have this grandmother figure in my life, and she said, baby, my husband was always the head of the house, but I'm the neck, and I turned that head every which way I wanted it to go. Ladies are sitting thinking, yeah. But that's a curse. See, in a relationship, I think in side of a woman, the feminine, is that feeling of, you didn't cover me when you were supposed to. See, Adam shifted the blame. God came to Adam, what'd you do? (laughs) It's that woman you gave me. I'm sure there's been no man in existence that's ever said that before, that woman. But it's effects of the curse. See, God was laying all this out. You want to understand why women are from Mars and men are from Venus? Well, this is why. You don't have to go get self-help books for this stuff. Look at Scripture and understand it's part of the curse. The fall is what created this insecurity inside of the feminine that says, I can't trust you to take care of me because you're not what I expected. That fall has the feminine instead of looking forward to God like they are whenever they are not in a relationship, the moment a relationship kicks in, it goes from this to this. And it's effects of the fall. Okay? I'm not, this is, and and keep in mind, we're going to go to Jesus here in a little bit and how he has fixed all of this. Okay? So stay, there's hope at the end of this tunnel. And there's not excuses. You can't say, well, it's just because of the fall, because of Adam. You can't do that either. Now, men... Ladies, pay attention, because if you want to understand why a guy is like he is, I'm about to tell you. 
the, how the curse affects the, man, the masculine is this, verse 17. He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat, curses the ground. <clears throat> because of you, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns, both thorns and thistles shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you turn to the ground because of, uh, from it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. Now, I want to stop one thing real quick. When God tells man, oh, it's because you listened to your wife, that's not because Adam listened to woman and that's why our thing screwed up. It's because he paid more attention to this voice versus the word of God. And it could have been the serpent and God would have said the exact same thing. Because God told Adam the word, and yet he allowed influence. He chose influence over the word. This is the teaching all of itself. I'm sorry, this is why I usually do this in three teachings, right? But every person in here, I encourage you, if God has given you a word, if he's given you a personal word, if he's given you a word over this church, if he's given you a word over this year, stand by that word and do not let influence draw you away from that. I don't care what you hear, because influence wants to rob you. And it will, it will turn things where you're not getting what originally was intent or intended for you. Sidetrack. Okay, so he says this to man. Guys, there's a reason why when you go to work, you work your butt off to produce. I'm sure every guy in here can tell you that when they start their day, they are battling every single day to to make it work, to make it happen, to figure it out, to produce. This is the curse against you as a man. Your curse is not the woman's curse. Your curse is that everything you try to produce, everything you try to overcome and make happen, you're going to fight. Ladies, this does not affect you. Okay? Now, I'll tell you why. Because have you noticed, ladies, that you guys can go to work, you can go shopping, you can pick up the kids, you can clean the house, you can do the laundry, you can get the kids in bed, and then your husband comes home and he sits on the couch, he's like, oh my gosh, I have worked my tail off today. And you think, what have you done? He's fought the curse all day. Ladies, that's not yours. You have a natural flow over everything that you do when you go about your day that men do not have. We are fighting beaver dam after beaver dam after beaver dam. Ladies, you are getting in that lazy river and just enjoying that coast. That's why you can do multiple things throughout the day that a guy cannot do. One, we're wired out of the form of Jesus, the masculine, not the Holy Spirit. That's why you guys have this whole multiple item thing going on. But that's also why the curse doesn't affect you like it does a man. So if you want to understand why your husband works so hard in the garage and gets one thing done, and then you come in and you've gotten ten things done, and you're like, why are you tired? That's why. The curse. Perspective. Okay? Not an excuse, but guys, just letting you know. You can use that one. All right, so, baby, I'm fighting the curse today. Oh. 
I don't know if I can rub your feet. My wife would kill me for that one. All right, so. The curse affects man this way. And it has affected us from day one till today. So how has Jesus fixed this? How? Well, first is this. Everything that happened on the cross was Jesus absorbing the curse. Okay? Let's start there. I want you to picture in your mind, right? Jesus is on that cross and the curse, the whole world, and like a sponge is being absorbed into him. That's taking place. So masculine, feminine, big C, little C's, everything pulling into Jesus. Now what's amazing is if you go through crucifixion, we're going to see all these pieces, okay? And this is how we're going to end. Is first take and eat. When the serpent tells the woman, that fruit right there, take it, eat it, you're good. How does Jesus fix that? He fixes that in communion. What do we do? We take and eat of the body and of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you take communion, what is important is not just that, oh, Jesus did this, that's why you do it. It's that I am participating in the redemption of the moment that mankind ate of the wrong tree. And I am partaking of the tree of life now. So when you take communion, take and eat and be joyful that you're eating of the tree of life. And that what you are doing eliminates the effects of the curse in Jesus. So then what happens? Well, let's go through some quick things real, real fast, all right? In the garden, what happens? Jesus is praying, takes the other disciples. When they look at Jesus, what do they see? Bright, brilliant, beautiful clothes. Well, what was lost from Adam and Eve? All of a sudden, they saw that they were naked. See, Jesus took that back, that light back within himself. And not only that, he hung naked on the cross. Why is that important? Because that was shame that he exposed and he brought within himself. So every bit of shame that you ever feel because of the curse, because of the fall of man, because of the things that you've gone through in your life, I encourage you right now to look to Jesus hanging on that cross because he absorbed your shame. So all that nakedness, he took within himself. All that shame, he took within himself. Men, good news. Jesus has broken the curse for us. Now, I believe this is something we have to tap into. We have to say, God, your will, not mine. Show me how to navigate today. How to speak into existence what you are expecting out of me to produce. But Jesus took it on by the crown of thorns. When he had that crown of thorns pushed on his head, it absorbed the curse from the thorns and thistles that fight us every single day. When he was praying in the garden and the sweat of his brow turned into blood falling off his head, that's the sweat of the curse being absorbed for you and me. Ladies, how does God fix the effects of the curse on the feminine? I think it's important that when we see Jesus hanging on the cross and he looks to Mary and he looks to John, this was always odd to me, right? And, you know, we've always kind of been taught that, oh, he says this because that way Mary wasn't alone. 
I think there's more to it. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he looks at his mom, and he looks at John, and he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. I think the reason is, is he's telling, he's absorbing that curse, saying, No longer should you feel alone. No longer should you feel the weight of sorrow over your son. Yes, I am passing in front of you, but you have been, another son has been raised up. Behold, woman, have no more sorrow. Then when Jesus dies, what happens here? The piercing, correct? And what flows out? Blood and water. If you think about it, woman's created out of the side of man. And out of birth, blood and water flow. And I think that is the redemption of the feminine. And finally, when a woman desires her husband, I think when Jesus showed up in the garden and the first person he he shows himself to was Mary Magdalene, right? I think that was God absorbing that part of the curse. He shows up to a woman and says, you are important. And you are equal. Rise up. I see you as you are, as you are intended to be. No longer look as if you're trying to control this way, but know that I am the protector. I am the one that covers you. I am the one that defines you. And the curse is absorbed in that moment. The beauty of Jesus is that he has given us the ability to overcome by everything he has done on the cross. So for the feminine, when that original wounding happened because man shifted blame and said, oh, it was your fault, Jesus has absorbed that. You don't have to operate out of that original wounding. Men, where we have operated out of rebellion in the original decision that was made, and the effects of that, we can now say, Jesus, I succumb to you. I, I humble myself because I am from dust. And it is because of you I am who I am. If you are seeing the effects of the curse trying to land itself on you in 2021, I think it's time that we begin to willfully choose to live according to the finished work of the cross. That's going to take time. It's going to take exercise. It's going to take study of Scripture. What does it mean to click back into the original intent? What does it mean to live under the blessings and the, the, the promise of Abraham? Because as, by faith, we're supposed to click into that. What does that look like for your life? Whenever you are finding yourself fighting day in and day out to produce or to feel like you're a part of something or or to get rid of that shame or or you're feeling the shame to stop and say, God, I am in you, Christ, fully, fully restored. So let me live that out right now. Let 2021 be a year that you stop giving excuses to living under the curse and begin to live in faith and expectation to the fulfillment of God over your life. Unshackle yourself. Allow that personal responsibility to click in and and not shift to the next thing or the next person, but say, here I am. Have your way with me. And I think 2021 and everything forward 
will grow us to a place of maturity that is unseen in this world. Because that is the call to every single person here. Maturity. Adam was supposed to grow in maturity to subdue the earth. You are supposed to grow in maturity to further the kingdom of God in the world around you. So let's take that stand together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for just the ability to look through Scripture and to see your character moving to bring us to a place to be restored back to how you see us, how you've designed us, and what you want from us. I ask God that 2021 be a year for every single person here that they are able to stop subscribing to the nature of the curse in their life, but are able to begin to take on the character and the completed work of the cross and what Jesus has done. That husbands and wives begin to find themselves in sync in unity because of you, God. That we begin to see our households and our, and our, and our lives come into a flow because of you, God, and what you have done. I pray that you remind us throughout our days that when we begin to hit the areas of insecurity or hardship, we look back to what you have done and what you have absorbed, Jesus, and that you are Lord of it all. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I surely hope that what you heard was relevant and helpful and above everything. I hope that what you experienced today really helped your heart to connect with the heart of God. Now, if what you heard uh, for you stirred up any questions or maybe led you toward uh, some type of spiritual decision, maybe you want to talk with someone about something that's on your mind, I would love to hear from you. And so I would encourage you, reach out by email. At the bottom of the screen, you see my email address. It's mark at myfreedomchurch.net. That's not going to go to a secretary or an assistant. That will come directly to me. I'd love to hear from you and talk with you about anything that's on your mind. And if in the future you're in our area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at Freedom Church. But until then, we invite you to access all of the sermon material that you find online. Again, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Hope that you have a great day.